It helps shrink swelling of tissues and, 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 and relieves itching, irritation, and painful burning of hemorrhoids for hours. More people trust. Doctor recommended. It's the Cooper and Anthony Show. I'm on vacation this week, but I'm doing the show anyway. You know me. First of all, I love the fact that like all you need is a laptop these days anyway. You and I used to be in a studio, and if you took a vacation, it was like a big deal. You had to put in for it. You had to record a bunch of best of, and mm-hmm. we couldn't take a vacation together. We had to take a vacation like one at a time, you know, because one of us always had to be on the air. Either you had to be there to play best of, or you were on vacation, and I had to be there to do a live show, one or the other. So I, I always, now I travel not just with my laptop, but I also bring a ring light with me, you know, in case I have to look pretty for TV, because you never know if I have to get on a Zoom. Mm-hmm. So my mom rented a house upstate New York. We don't really go that far. When I say vacation, don't think that I'm like getting on a plane and flying anywhere, first of all, too expensive. And I'm not like going to Paris or something. We literally, like my mom, my parents would like rent a house somewhere for like a month mm-hmm. and- they go up for a week, then they have their friends come up for a week, and then usually me and Joe come up, but, you know, we, it's just he has to work, and then someone's got to take care of the dog. So it just turned out there's just my mom and I doing like that weird Grey Gardens mother-daughter week mm-hmm. <laughs> up in a country in like a small town. So we get up here, and we stop by the stop and shop and get all our food for the week and whatever. And I get home, and I'm unpacking, and thank God I showered that morning because as I'm unpacking, I get a call from the Australian TV show that I do, you know, Sunrise, mm-hmm. that I've been doing. So if you don't – I think I've talked about this before on the show, but it's the Good Morning America of Australia. It's on all over Australia. It's the hugest show in Australia. It's on all over, not just in Sydney. It's on the entire country. Even the Outback gets it. Even kangaroos watch it. <laughs> <laughs> it's number one with koala bears. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The koalas love me. So I have somehow become the American voice of this show. I ended up talking about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard, and then I started doing segments for them on that whole Ricky Martin thing, and then the whole Elon Musk affair. And uh, we've, I've been doing like, it's funny, because if there's breaking news, they have me on. Mm-hmm. If there's something happening, I do like maybe three hits an hour. Like I'm on the whole show. Like it's it's a hit, and then I sit around and wait for my next hit, and then I do the next one, and the producer tells me what he wants me to do. Like I like I work there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like remember I used to do talking head stuff where you would just go and you would show up for like one segment that ask you about Britney Spears. You would give your opinion on Britney Spears. You'd pitch your book, and then you'd leave, and that would be it. That would be the you'd get the. It would take more time and hair and makeup than to actually do the segment you're doing. Mm-hmm. This is different. This is like they have their own studio in New York, um, somewhere in like the Flatiron District. So I bike over there and I usually sit in the studio and I just wait and do my segments there. But once in a while, if it's like a breaking news thing or if I'm away like like this week, they'll let me do a Zoom thing. So I get this call as I'm walking out with my groceries. Can you jump on right now? Olivia Newton-John died. And as you know, she's Australian. She's huge there. This was... This wasn't just like part of their story. This was their entire newscast mm-hmm. for the full three hours or four hours. I don't know how long the show was on, three hours. The entire time it was on, that's all they did was it was wall-to-wall Olivia Newton-John. And they had on 
nurses and doctors who treated her. They had on people that have interviewed her. They had on former husbands, former lovers, people that work with her in the music industry. So they bring me on to be the voice of America to talk about like her importance in American culture, like why she was an icon here also, like why we're also grieving Mm -hmm. about her. So I had to like think off the top of my head, you know, I didn't, you can't prepare for someone's death, of course, obviously. And uh, luckily, I knew all about Olivia Newton-John. I had a lot to say about her. Mm-hmm. I was surprised at how much I knew. Like, they were asking me all these questions. I was like, well, in 1978 and then in 1985. Like, I knew so, like, weird trivia about Olivia Newton-John and her life. But I guess the the three main points that I made of why she's so important in America, I said that people discovered her at different ages, no matter how old you were. Like at some point in your life, Olivia Newton-John crossed your path. Mm -hmm. She was in your life, like whether it was for Greece or let's get physical or, you know, her, her breast cancer awareness stuff that she did and all the, the good work that she did and all the charity work that she did. She raised millions of dollars for, for breast cancer. There's a, she opened her own wellness center in, Phoenix, oh, Scottsdale, Arizona. So she was, she was really steeped in American culture here. So, and then even, and I happen to know this, Doja Cat last year and Dua Lipa the year before actually used the, they in, interpolated Let's Get Physical for songs that they were doing. Mm-hmm. So they're using Olivia Newton John music in their music. I mean, Dua Lipa and Doja Cat, like that's huge. So it kind of says how she, Olivia Newton-John kind of touched every single generation. And then, Joe, my boyfriend pointed out something really important that I realized is true about her too, why she's so important to American culture. When Greece came out in 1978, that was the time that America, especially American women, were kind of owning their sexuality. Mm. And, I, and I said this. I said this is like the important thing about her is, you know, Madonna was out there being like, sexy and whatever but she was interested in men looking at her olivia newton john was like i don't care who looks at me i am owning my sexuality and the moment that was a big part of the culture in 1978 which is why that moment in greece when she's no longer sweet little sandy and she comes out in that like spandex black tight outfit and she takes a cigarette and she goes tell me about it stud mm-hmm. and he's like what <laughs> and she's in this hot outfit. That was sort of a metaphor for what was happening in America at the time, and speci- especially with females and women, our sexuality, like our coming out of we're owning our sexuality and we're not going to be called whores and sluts. This is, I can own my sexuality and that's my business, not yours. And and that was that moment. And that moment in that movie kind of embodied that. So every time you see any kind of documentary or anything about um, sexuality or history or women in America or femininity, they always play that clip. Always. It's a really, really important part of American culture. Um, and then also, I don't know if you know this, when Olivia Newton-John was first starting out in music, it wasn't just pop music she was doing, it was country music. She won a Grammy for her country music. She beat Loretta Lynn and Dolly Parton. And right now, she is number one in the U.S., Hopelessly Devoted to You is number one on the chart. Magic is number two on the chart This uh, right now. 
Yeah. And and everybody I spoke to was like, I'm downloading Grease. I'm downloading. Yeah, Magic was a great song. I went back and I did a deeper dive into some of the songs that I knew. Like I kind of grew up with my parents playing around the house and I knew they were Living Newton-John fans, Mm. my parents. So I went back and like found some of her older music and downloaded that. And then I also downloaded some of the music that, you know, Doja Cat and uh, Dua Lipa were doing and, and other artists. I mean, her music was in Despicable Me and Glee. And, you know, she was a really, really important musical artist here as well. She wasn't just an Australian star. So. Well, if you go on, I don't know if it's Netflix or Amazon. I think it's Amazon right now. Uh, Greece has been on Amazon since it started. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it's an old movie. It's right there on your front page. You think it's still a new movie. So people are still finding that movie and her every day. Well, that's what's interesting. I joked on uh, on Sunrise Australia, I joke that everybody's parents introduced them to Olivia Newton-John music, and that's just called good parenting here in America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they, like, they laugh. They like that line. I was like, that's just good parenting. Um, but what I thought was really interesting, so the two things about uh, Olivia Newton-John and Greece. So remember, Greece being on Prime a few months ago or last year, whenever it was, people were kind of asking, they were canceling it. They were they were kind of hating on it. Mm-hmm. Because if you remember, there's all these really inappropriate sexual things that are said. Some characters say some things that are... It's one of those movies that they have to preface it with, look, this movie was made about the 50s, in the 70s. I know they're going to say inappropriate stuff. Just there's your fair warning. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so much television now that old stuff that if you go back and watch, even with podcasts, I listened to this whole string of podcasts recently that um, I don't know why nobody wants to make new podcasts anymore except for us. They're like, well, this was our podcast from 2015. It's like, fucking get on your microphone and do a new podcast. Um, but and they, and they start by saying, you know, in 2015, we had a different view and we had different words to describe the transgender community it's like whoa what am i about to hear you know Mm -hmm. and you realize it wasn't that long ago that people were saying really inappropriate shit and there was a lot of it so it's like why run that podcast don't you can't you edit that part whatever (laughs) there's there's so many movies and tv shows that are considered iconic that if you look back you're like wow that was super sexist yeah just don't if you can't handle it then don't watch tv I mean, there was a whole list this week, Gone with the Wind and Blazing Saddles and all that, that people are canceling. Just a step away from your TV. That's just the way things were. And you know what? You know what will happen? Those movies will die off with the generations that love them, just the way that the movies from the 1920s and 30s and 40s have. Mm -hmm. I don't watch movies from those generations, but my my grandparents and great-grandparents did. But, you know, they're gone and the movies are gone. So it's just the shit dies off over time. Just, you know, go watch Despicable Me 4 and just be patient. (laughs) But here's the other question I had for you about Olivia Newton-John. And not just about Olivia Newton-John. A lot of people that I saw in radio had posted pictures of the time they met Olivia Newton-John. And I find that they do that a lot when a celebrity dies. Mm Mm-hmm. I was wondering what you thought about that, because that's been kind of a debate that's been going on in our industry. Is it kind of disrespectful? And, and is, not even, is it more like about you then? Like, hi, here's me with the dead celebrity. Yeah, I did that with Eddie Van Halen. When Eddie died, I had a photo of me and Eddie together. Um, I, I, it, it's my way of, of 
tipping my hat, I think. And saying, yeah, he was a good guy. I met him. Here's the photo we took together. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I know one guy in radio who always does it because he's been in radio a really long time. He's an old dude. Mm -hmm. And he's been in music radio for so long that anytime somebody of that generation dies, he has pictures of them because that was when he was, you know, being a DJ. Mm -hmm. Or working at a radio station, he'd be the person that like would run in and take a photo when they were doing photo ops, even if he had nothing to do with the artist coming in. He was one of those people that was just always there to take photos. Um I don't know. I'm a little put off by it. And what I did was I looked to – I always – I like to punch up. I looked to my betters to see what the people that I really respect in radio, like Elvis Duran, for example. Like did Elvis post a picture with Olivia Newton-John? I'm sure he met her at some point. I mean he's been in radio fucking forever and mm-hmm. she must have come through at some point. No. At those stations, they just post a photo of the person and just say, you know – so-and-so has passed, age of 73, she'll be missed, whatever. They don't put their own, maybe in their own private Instagram they do, but I've never seen it. Not The, the best, the, the biggest of the big, Scott Shannon, I'm sure, has pictures of him and Olivia Newton-John. I'm sure he met her a million times. I did not see one photo that Scott Shannon posted of him and Olivia Newton-John. Well, it's like your Aunt Jackie. When your Aunt Jackie dies, you're going to post a photo of you and Aunt Jackie. I mean, it's the but same thing. It's not really the same thing. You do understand that Aunt Jackie is not a, is not a multi uh, platinum Grammy winning star, right? You get that that your Aunt Jackie and Olivia Newton John are two completely different people in society and in pop culture. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm taking a different tact with it. You know, I used to once in a while if something came up with a celebrity, I would post the photos of you and I with whoever it was. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to stop. You can't stop me. If I if you died and I took a photo with you, I'm putting it out there. Just no. come at me. Come at me, bro. I was with CeCe DeVille. Here, I proved it. Now CeCe's dead. But see, then that's about you then. It's about you knowing that person. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not, it's not Who else is it about? Them. It's about me. No, but that's – well, okay, then that's different because then it's not an homage to the person. I post – I never met Olivia Newton-John, but had I met her, I really thought about this. I was There was no way I was going to post photos of me if I'd met her, which mm-hmm. I never did because um, she stopped making music by the time you and I were, would make, were in the radio industry. But the point is, you know, one day Miley Cyrus – We'll die. We'll all die someday. Hopefully, I mean, my guess is we'll die before Miley Cyrus. This won't be an issue. But, um, <laughs> you know, if, if if the opposite happens, am I posting a picture, all the pictures you and I have with Miley Cyrus? I don't know that I'm going to do that. I think I'm just going to post will. Off. No, I will. I'm and post- I'm even going, I'm going through and photoshopping my face on people's faces that pose with Olivia Newton John. <laughs> so I'm using Photoshop to, to get my image out there. I think it's cool if you're not in the industry and you met the person. Like if you're in, I don't know, I've, I have a friend who is in finance mm-hmm. and every once in a while they'll have a celebrity client come through or they'll do an event and a celebrity client will be hosting it and they'll get a photo with that celebrity but they're not they're not in the celebrity business if they post a photo with a celebrity i think that's cool i like that but those of us in radio we've met everybody and several times 
I mean, there's certain artists that I have so many photos of that I have them literally growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, here they were 21. Here they were 31. Here they are now. You know what I mean? I have so many of that, so much of that stuff. It gets obnoxious and then it becomes about you. So I've changed my tune about that sort of thing. I'm when fine a celebrity, with that. When a celebrity I respect dies, I'm just going to find a great shot of them and post them and make it about them and that's it. No, how about if you don't like that person anymore? Like if Rod Stewart died tomorrow, I would post the photo of me and Rod Stewart because I don't because I hate him. Well, then you should write. Sorry, he's dead. He was a total fucker. <laughs> and here, here I am with the fucker. Right. Well, that's different. Okay, if you want to do that, then that's fine. But if mm-hmm. it's somebody you respected and loved, I think you should find a good photo. Fo- because that's the other thing. It's always a good photo of you and not of the artist. Every photo I have with, I mean, I can't tell you how many times Taylor Swift came through PLJ when I was there. Every picture, I look great. She doesn't, I mean, she's gorgeous, but her lighting is She doesn't take a bad photo, though. She doesn't take a bad photo, but our lighting was so terrible, you know, that I knew how to pose for it. She didn't. Well, and she's seven feet tall, so you're going to shoot up at her, so it's not going to be a good angle. Exactly. So I I have one picture in particular that I look better than her in the picture. I'm not posing. If nothing happens to Taylor Swift, I'm just, nothing's going to happen to her. She's 14 years <laughs> if old. Taylor Swift was behind a plant, she still would be hotter than you. <laughs> That's true. That's a good point. <laughs> no, but I'm saying, and the, you light, shot the lighting was her wasn't nose. Great. Her, just her nose, it would well, be I'm hotter. Saying the lighting wasn't great, and my guess is her people would not want that photo to be out there of her. Right. You know, of her, of an homage to her for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So for me, and by the way, you and I have a habit of killing celebrities. So I want I want to just say right now that I'm not using Taylor Swift and Miley Cyrus as any example for anything. I'm just throwing Rod it out Stewart there. Or because, CC DeVille. Because I know that it'll never happen. That's mm-hmm. why I'm saying it. Yeah. Anyway, so I'm I'm no longer gonna post photos of me and celebrities. That's that's my whole point. <laughs> I'll post them for you and I'll put I'll take your face on, put my face on your body. <laughs> Do a face swap. <laughs> yeah, just on your photos. Now, without further ado, it's the Cooper and Anthony show. She doesn't even go here. I saw this list today and I said, I do not watch a lot of TV. Uh-huh. Because if I ask you, should people watch these shows or skip them? Should we binge them or skip them? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen but like two. And okay. <laughs> I guarantee you've seen all of them. So you wouldn't know to tell somebody to binge or skip. So you're going to have to leave that to me. Yeah, because the, these shows, maybe I watched one episode. It's like the first one, Stranger Things. Mm-hmm. Should you stream it or skip it? Oh, of course you should stream it. Not only should you stream it, it's a really important show in American television and pop culture. There's a lot of really important aspects of the show, the technology behind the show, the actors in it. They're, they're, this is their big start. You know, I, I think it's an important show. It's, it was an important show for Netflix. It was one of the high, most highly streamed, you know, of their Still is. series. Still is. Right. So, so I think it's an important show. So I think even if you don't like it, you're not into that kind of sci-fi, I think you have to watch it because there are some really – it's an important part of television history now. I know, but I only got, I think, two episodes into this latest season, and I oh. haven't gone back. Oh. I just got well, bored. Okay. 
I got bored with it. I think every season, the first two episodes have been good, and then I get bored. There's monsters. Well, I'm, I don't yeah, care. They, they they do get a little deep into the story. Like there's definitely some story plot points that they just really want to make sure you get, and they just they get a little too inside baseball for like maybe an episode or two, but then it comes back, then, then and you're back. Yeah, see, my problem with a lot of these shows is they're really good movies. So right. they have two hours of really good content, but they stretch it out for 20 hours. So then it's just, it's just boring to me. But that's what every series is now. There's I know, not, that's I why I say I got a problem with all these series. Every series is that now. There's no that's what that's the interesting thing. They can call them sitcoms, they can call them series, but they really aren't. You're right. It's a movie that they just give to you in little chunks. Because if it was really a sitcom or a series, then every episode would be brand new. Something new would be happening. Mm-hmm. And that's not what happens. It's one narrative all the way through, like a movie. Sixteen or sixty-seven percent of people said stream it. Thirteen percent said skip it. And 20% said never seen it. 20% of people on this list never saw Stranger Things? Never have seen it. Okay. All right. Only Murders in the Building. To me, that is one of the best shows on television. You're going to say stream it. It's so well written. It's so clever. Selena Gomez is beyond adorable. Her relationship with Steve Martin and Martin Short is just the cutest thing ever. I, you know, I, I don't really, I didn't really have a feeling about, I like Steve Martin, but I, I didn't really have a feeling about Martin Short either way. I mean, I like him. I didn't dislike him. I love him. He's so funny. His comic timing. I had no idea. It's, yeah, it's really good. It's a great show. Really well written. Absolutely watch it. 44% said stream it. 46% said, like me, never seen it. Could you have never seen Only Murders in the Building? I, I don't know what channel it's on. I think it's on Hulu. Hulu. It's on Hulu. Yeah, and I can't with Hulu because they have too many commercials. So I can't with that. And it's just, uh. and that's the problem. That's the other problem with these stupid shows is like Hulu, they have 14 commercials and they play them over and over and over and over and over. Every well, stop set. Tell your father-in-law to spend a little more money on Hulu he, he's and get the commercial-free spe- version. He's got to cough up the extra two bucks. Yeah, you're going to have to talk to him about that. Because <laughs> it drives me crazy. All right, The Office. Stream it, skip it. All right, so here's my problem with The Office. The first maybe five seasons are great. By the time Steve Carell is pretty much gone and all the main characters are gone and then when it's mostly Ed Helms, mm-hmm. it's not funny anymore. It's not interesting. I've, t- I've totally lost the plot. Like, yeah. So the, f- I would say the first half, Mindy Kaling is fantastic. Like the early, the early episodes are fantastic. And then it just gets, it's, it really jumps the shark. So first five seasons, yes. The rest just, no, waste of time. 63% said stream it. 16% said never seen it. And I think I've seen maybe one or two episodes. Yeah, I could see you not really being into it. Yeah, I don't like it. Uh, next, see, another show you love I've never seen, New Girl. I don't love New Girl. I've oh, I thought you it. did. No, 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 that's not one of the shows that I love. I'll tell you why. That's a real sitcom. 
every single episode is completely different. You can just you can just come in at any episode and you don't have to have known what what has gone on before and you're fine. It's good. Um I I got to tell you I found those char- those characters really wore on me and I got they were really annoying to me after like maybe by season 2 I was already like, eh, "I'm done with these people." 52% said stream it, 23 skip it, 25% never seen it. Well, I don't believe that. Everyone's seen an episode. I I don't know where it is. Uh, Love Island, the next one. I don't know what that is. Um, Funny, I just started watching that. So Love Island is a, I think the original one was, I want to say like Australian and English. They, they're all over the world now. Mm-hmm. The American one's okay. I'm spoiled by the British one. The British one is way better. But they talk funny, though. No, but the people are hot. It's just funnier. I don't know. I like I liked the structure of it better. I like the hosts better on that one. Um, yeah, uh, Love Island's okay. I would, that's a, that's a, yeah, you should, if you're bored and you want to see some, if you're into like, you know, reality television, that's a good reality show. I like the games that they play, the way that they get people together. It's kind of, yeah, I'm a sucker for that show. 14% said stream it. 51% like me, never seen it. Wow. Yeah, most people never saw it. It's not a huge show. I don't think it's a huge show. All right. Another show I've never seen. You love Bridgerton. Well, yes, of course I love Bridgerton. It's amazing. It's, again, amazing writing, amazing acting, and every season is completely different. The concept is the same, but the main characters change. That's my favorite mm. part, that you have a lot of some of the same main characters, but the, but the main love story is always someone new. So we're, wait, we're waiting for season three. It's going to be another new couple. We don't know who it's going to be. 47% said stream it. 36% like me. Never seen it. It's really, really well written. It's it's just they do a good job of, of they do a really good job of giving you a cliffhanger. So you have you really want to see what happens oh, next. Like Dexter. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like you have to binge it. It's hard not to binge Bridgerton. Downton Abbey. I, you know, yeah, when it was on television a million years ago, it was great. I don't know that it's relevant anymore. Why yeah, is this on the list? Who cares 57% it said I've never seen it, so. Well, yeah, it was on PBS, it, but it, it had a moment. Yeah, back then, I watched it, but I'm not re-watching it, and I don't really care about it now. Vampire Diaries. I didn't get into that one. Oh, you've never seen it. No, I've I've seen it. Of course, I've seen <laughs> You've it. Seen all these. <laughs> well, I watch everything. I can't not know what's going on. But I don't know. I never got into it. I don't know why. I mean, I like all the actors in it. I just I don't know. Half I the think people the said time, never seen it. Yeah, at the time I was watching too many shows, and I just I couldn't. It was it was like I was eating a big meal, and I was already full. I had no more room for Vampire Diaries. This whole list says everything about you and I. Uh, never seen any of them. You love them. Pretty Little Liars. You know that's my favorite show ever on television, ever. Like, that is, oh my God, there's never been a show that, that's Mean Girls on TV for me. Like, that was the most important show. <laughs> and I had this group of girls that every time Pretty Little Liars would be on, the very next day, we would immediately get on, like, a conference call and, like, discuss it. <laughs> Who's A? What's happening? What do you think is going on? Like, oh my God, we were obsessed. 47% never seen it. 21% said stream it. I can't relate to that 47% at all. I've never seen it. And I never, there should be a category. I've never seen it and will never see it. (laughs) Yeah, that show's not for you. Parks and Rec. Oh, it's a great show. You're going to say stream it. 
absolutely stream it. And that is one of the few sitcoms that is funny from episode one to episode finale. I guess I got to watch it because 62% said stream it. Only 9% said skip it. A lot of actors in it that you love. Chris Pratt is in it. Rob Lowe. The new Chris Pratt thing, the the one that's on Amazon right now, yeah. that's a really good show. Oh, all right. I'll check that out. The Good Place. Stream it, skip it, never seen it. I watched it. I watched all whatever, three seasons of it, whatever. It didn't. I liked it when I was watching it. It was one of those shows that the minute I was done with it, I completely forgot all about it. Until you just <laughs> mentioned it, I forgot there was a The Good Place. Doctor Who. I think I would like it, but I've never seen it. That's a deep dive because Doctor Who has been around a really long time. time. There have been a lot of Doctor Whos. You know, it was exciting when they had a female Doctor Who. They had Jodie Whittaker from Broadchurch. She was the mom of the dead kid in Broadchurch. Mm -hmm. She was a Doctor Who for for a couple, like a season. That was amazing. So they have a new Doctor Who now. Another show I haven't seen. I saw maybe two or three episodes. You used to love it, Breaking Bad. No, I hate Breaking Bad now. Oh, you do? Okay, good. Since since Better Call Saul, I can't believe how terrible Breaking Bad is. I went back and tried to watch it. It is unwatchable. Yeah, I, I, I tried to get into it, and I couldn't. No, now's not the time to watch. When it was happening, it was exciting. It was new. It was fresh. We loved Vince Gilligan. But the minute um, Better Call Saul happened, and, and even Vince Gilligan was like, he didn't, he made a lot of mistakes, he said, with breaking bad and if he can do it all over again he would do it differently but it led to better call saul which we're waiting for the the series finale is next week and that to me is one of the three best shows on television right now and just so you know the three best shows for me right now on tv only murders in the building better call saul and euphoria to me those are the three best best written best acted most compelling it's the those are the only three shows that i watch them and i have my i put my phone down I'm not on my phone when I'm, when oh, I'm wow. watching those shows. Yeah, that's it's a, a big for- deal. It's a phone down show? It's a phone, three phone down shows. You have to pay attention. Wow. I can't even get through the news without having my phone in my hand. I can't get through talking to you without. I'm, I'm looking at my phone right now. <laughs> Stupid dragon show. Stream it, skip it, never seen it. What year is this? We're done with Game of Thrones. If you didn't see Game of Thrones by now, fuck you. You'd skip it. Yeah, 37% like me, never seen it. I can't believe that. All right. Last but not least, I've uh, never seen a episode, Glee. Yeah, that again, that was fun when it was on television, but it's too many years later. And I'm really surprised that Euphoria was not on that list because, again, Zendaya and Sidney Sweeney and Jacob Elordi, like some of the best young actors right now are mm-hmm. on that show. So if you're not watching Euphoria, then you're either too fucking old or you don't really understand what's going on in television today. I think Euphoria is probably one of the most important shows to be watching. What channel is that on? HBO Max. Okay. See, you just have to tell me now what channel it's on because I don't know things anymore. Right. Well, okay. Well, I'll tell you. But go, go, go see Euphoria. The Chris Pratt thing, you should watch. All right, I will. I almost did, and then I was like, "Ah, it's it's very male." I felt like you know, I don't really, I don't have a dick. I won't enjoy it. <laughs> it is, but it's phoned down. Oh, Term, okay. it's called the terminal list, and uh, it's not going to be phoned down for me. I don't know. I it's really good. 
I may even like do Wordle while I watch it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. At least have it on in the background. Give it a chance. Hurdle. Have you done Hurdle yet? I don't know what that is. Okay, so Hurdle, is that like Wordle? Yes, it's the music. Ver- it's the music version. It's name that tune, but it's it's the Wordle version. So basically, they just play you a couple of notes. Oh, I can do that in my sleep. I know. I was thinking. And the other day, it was Interstate Love Song, and I knew it within two notes. And I was like, oh, Anthony would have gotten this in one note. Yeah. I'm very good at it. I know a lot of this stuff. I wouldn't do it on an app. I would just just go online and do Hurdle. H-E-A-R-D. Hurd. Hurdle. And then go play. And and you'll do great. Hurdle. Okay. You get like four or five tries, and then they play the whole song for you. Oh, I, I, I need one. Yeah. See, I was thinking about that the other day. All this stupid music knowledge that I have in my head, where's that going to go when I die? No, nowhere. Not, I mean, because Hurdle, you don't win anything. It's just, it's for your own shit. I know, do. but I know everything about all music. And then when I'm gone, eh, nobody will, will know anything. I know. It's a shame they don't have music Jeopardy anymore. Oh. Rock and roll Jeopardy. I would have rock and roll Jeopardy. Killed How great that. was that? I know you would have killed there. Killed it. I would have been. I would have been like Ken Jennings. I would be the host now. Bring that <laughs> shit back. Wait, you know what? You, we just talked about TV. Who do we talk to to bring back rock and roll Jeopardy? Who do you have to blow <laughs> to bring back <laughs> rock and roll Jeopardy? Who do I have to blow anyway? I'll just blow. <laughs> you just tell me who to blow. I'll just do it. <laughs> I mean, if they want to also do something as a favor back, that's fine. But you know me. Pure psychopath. So rare to capture one alive. You disturbed me almost to the point of insanity. There, I am insane now. It's the Cooper and Anthony Show. Joining us on the show is a former inmate turned author and motivational speaker, Mike DiVicino, whose first book is out. It's called Dear Joey... Letters from Prison, book one, which means there'll be book two, three, four, five, six. The numbers just go on forever. And it's exactly what it promises. Dear Joey, Letters from Prison, book one, is a compilation of candid letters written by inmates in their own words. So everybody say hi to Mike DiVicino. Hi, Mike. Hello. All right, well, let's give some background on you so people understand uh, who you are and just some background on you and this book. So you were arrested in 1990 for crimes that you did for the mafia. Is that correct? Those are certainly the allegations, yes. Oh, the allegations. Oh, I love that. So, okay. So you were arrested and convicted and you were given multiple life sentences, yet here you are. I think that's so interesting. How do you get out of multiple life sentences? Actually, it was a, a over time, you guys, what happens is, and I was certainly no, no innocent guy in any of this. I was what was called overcharged. It had been said that I, for my unwilling to cooperate uh, with certain branches of the government, that the book was thrown at me. I'm not even sure if that practice still exists or not. And what overcharged means is perhaps with. The excessive sentencing over time, appeals, etc. It all kind of, when you think of a castle being built in sand, it all eventually somewhat crumbled. And I eventually made it out nearly 30 years later. Without having to turn state's evidence or um, talk about anybody that you worked with, like, were you able to, to get out without having to become a snitch, as they say? 
1,000%. Had that been the case, sorry to the family and, and all my lifelong friends that have waited for me, but they, they just won't bust their hearts because they know better. I would right. still be inside if that were the case. So 30 years you spent. It was just under 30 years, yeah. What reality hit you first when you walk out? You you say, wow, what is this? This, this is a cell phone. I mean, there's so many things that you didn't know even existed when you got out. That's correct. And, and wow, what a, it is a, it is a broad question, but when you say what hit me first, you just brought me back to that very moment in time as though literally that happened five minutes ago, simply stepping off, simply quote unquote, stepping off the prison van into the so-called free world at a bus station in Los Angeles to family, friends, and loved ones that were waiting for me there, I was, I was in absolute shock. It was an overstimulation by all things outside of a prison cell block, if you will, in a prison cell. You had a lot of Netflix to catch up on. <laughs> uh, so it's been told, Jess. I, I don't <laughs> spend much of my time, guys. TV would be a luxury for me today. There's so much other things called life for me to catch up on that. Yeah, I've heard about the Netflix thing, and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but there's a little more life happening outside the four walls of a prison cell than Netflix for me personally. So is that what happened? So you come out after 30 years. I'm sure it has to change your perspective on on life, what life's about. Like, what What are some of the deeper thoughts that the rest of us don't really grasp on a regular basis that when you got out after 30 years, what was the big change? What was the thing that you thought, this is how my life is going to be now? What was that thing? Damn, what a question. Um, not on the me. So <laughs> when, when you say that, it's, I mean, what I was assailed with, assaulted with, if you will, stepping off that prison van now into this so-called free world. The one thing that continues to be a recurring theme for me is the way the world has been so revolutionized by technology during the decades I was in that six by nine or seven by 10 still in concrete prison cell. Right. And could you see on TV the like the iPhone and, and things like that on the outside? Could you see things like that? Television. So you... You're permitted in a lot of the, the, the penitentiaries and or prisons, it's a privilege to earn the right to have a uh, television, a small, I can't, do you guys remember this? What would it be? A, like a 12 inch uh, black and white, let's say television. Mm -hmm. and, and because televisions were used, guys, in, in my opinion, as, as a manipulation tool, if you will, Maybe that's a strong word, but to keep guys placated, et cetera, and pacified, I wasn't always so easily pacified. And I wound up giving my television away early on to a fellow paisan of mine who happened to be an inmate, of course. And I'm guessing they could see, now that you're mentioning it, some of the technology that was revolutionizing the country and throughout. But I, I had never seen an iPhone once until it was handed to me when I got off that prison bus. That's very interesting because what television represented to you there was sort of a manipulation. 
and a way to um, kind of get you guys under control. That's, that's, I think that's absolutely fascinating. And that, and that does speak to the question I asked earlier. So when you got out, the reason why you are interested in living your life rather than watching other people live their lives, um, especially after 30 years in prison, that, that makes perfect sense. Paint us a picture of actual life inside prison because we all have, we've seen movies and we've heard stories and I mean, granted, not every prison is the same, but your experience, what, like what actually goes on? What's the, what's the day to day? Like you wake up in the morning and then what? So you wake up in the morning and obviously you're, and you just said it best. Not every prison is the same. You have different level prisons, penitentiaries. Um, and you earn your way down through a, what's called a level system in most systems by following the rules, the regulations, doing what you must, what's expected of you, so you level down. However, I never made it to what's called a medium, so going from max ultimately to mediums throughout my years and decades, you wake up in the morning, breakfast, as it were, was served to you, if you will, and it's brought to your cell. Again, the higher the level, typically you're fed in your cage and you're basically locked in that cage. And hmm. you, get, you, you get a couple times a week what is called tier time and or yard time or rec time, which maybe some of the listeners will be a little more familiar with. Yard time is when you're permitted to go out onto the prison yard. Our listeners have all been in prison. So they, uh-huh. they're like, yep, yep, we get it, we get it. <laughs> oh, Christ, really? I better run. I better run. <laughs> So, yeah, it's just a very raucous environment. It's chaos in perpetuity. It really is. There, there certainly is a whole lot of control in there. However, at any time that there is any freedom of movement, it's, you could expect the gunners, the gun towers to be shooting you, hitting the ground, be it in the cell block, uh, be it in a shower, locked in a shower. You learn early on. To hit the ground, bullets ricochet throughout cell blocks, cages, etc. On the prison yard, same thing. You're hitting the the concrete or the dirt wherever you're at, and that honestly, that that pretty much sums up what it's like in the higher level facilities. Wow. Were you under a safe umbrella because you were part of the mob? Ooh, that's I've never been asked that. Um, that wasn't something that I ever spoke about inside, mm-hmm. uh, but but things become known about one another, of course, over time. There's very little that's hidden in prison. Everything will be revealed. I can't answer that squarely because I never propagated that. I never spoke about that. I was a guy that was willing, and like most in there, if you're not willing to go to the extreme where bloodshed's concerned, you're going to be preyed upon in the worst ways imaginable. Uh, wow. So for me, that was something early on, even though I, I certainly didn't advocate violence. Unfortunately, there is a time and a place for all things. So what was the first experience you had in prison? How old were you when you first went in? Um, I saw the inside of my first lockup facility at the age of 12. So wow, yeah, facilities were certainly... Regrettably, they weren't something that I feared, and that was probably part of the problem. And dare I say, early on, it became a bit of a, dare I say this, it's a terrible admittance, but I found a little bit of comfort early on inside. inside. Hmm. Uh, 
Is it the predictability every day? Is it the fact that you don't have to deal with the outside world? Is it the fact that you got good at um, handling the day-to-day in prison, the kind of people that were there? What is it that was comforting? Maybe the some of the chaos that I came from, uh, as, as I've shared, I, I certainly came from what I, I call a less than perfect background, an imperfect background. Perhaps we all have. That's not for me to say. And maybe at a young age, it provided me some comfort in that regard where it wasn't that kind of chaos that I was dealing with, if that makes sense, Mm. seeing, witnessing, et cetera. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. I mean, in a way, in prison, at least it was a safe space. And listen, when you're young, whether you're in your 20s or 30s, when you're young, it's important to be able to predict your environment. And if you were living out in the outside world in a very unpredictable environment, I can see why being in an environment that every day is the same is probably has a lot of comfort to it. Yeah, and and you you expressed it better than I can. In fact, uh, some of my fellow long-termers, former long-termers who have also made it out, we speak quite a bit about when you speak of the predictability, even in the chaos itself, the chaos is predictable. Yeah, well, I was married. For, I was married for years, so I understand. I'm, I'm with you. <laughs> no, he understands, not you. <laughs> so, yes. So that that's a very well point that you make about predictability. And I started to say, guys, about some of the for, my fellow former long termers. Uh, institutionalization is a very real thing, and. Regrettably, as human beings, or not regrettably, we pretty much can become adapt to anything. Uh, now my mind's just reeling when I think of the institutionalization being very real. A lot of the guys after long-term incarceration can't handle it out here, and it's heartbreaking to me because I certainly get it, but I will never mm. give into it. I will never quietly give into that. Like all things in life, we have to fight through things to eventually overcome. Right. And you're, you're older now. So you definitely have, and you, and you, you've learned a lot enough. I mean, the fact that you even wrote this book and you're a motivational speaker right there shows what a different person you are already. Like you're a completely different person now than the guy who went in 30 years ago. Yes. I'm much more matured. And again, it is, it is a very different world out here now. And it is a lot to get used to. Certainly not a complaint. Um, how does the saying go about the worst day out here is better than the best day in there? I've always wanted to know this from somebody who got out. Is there anything you miss? Not one thing. Not one single thing. And and yet I have to backtrack a little there because so many of the guys in there each have a piece of my heart. I do miss the guys. Mm-hmm. So many of them have a piece of my heart, but they're going to have to come out here if they want to get more. Uh, I'm here. So I'm not going back in. Right. And that brings us to your book, Dear Joey, Letters from Prison, Book One. I think it's interesting. There's a lot of people in this book that talk about what they had done and gangs and their regret. A lot of the stories were just regular people who ended up in terrible situations and made dumb choices, and now they regret those choices. What percentage of the people that you had to deal with on a regular basis were true sociopaths, people that didn't have any regret, that were just like, belonged there? I would say from my vast experience, a very small percentage. Mm. I am huge, huge proponent of rehabilitation. 
It starts with self first. If we're not ready, it doesn't matter who comes along. We're just not going to get the message. And I feel the absolute majority are rehabilitative. Hmm. Now, if I go in, do I have to act for the first day? Do I have to act hard or not hard? How, do, how does somebody survive that first day in? You do. You would have to absolutely not only act, because that's only going to take you so far. You have to become that. If you're not already, you need to be that. Or as I alluded to just a little bit ago, you will be preyed upon because every single move, step, you itch, twitch that you make, you're being scrutinized by your own race, the other races. Everybody's just looking to feed on one another. And there, unfortunately, it's the proverbial crabs in the barrel, if you will. Mm -hmm. And you will be forced to participate in the bedlam that goes on in there. So when you speak to kids, like when you talk to them about, I guess I'll just ask you, what do you say to them? What's, what's your message and, and how do you get through to kids? And what kind of kids do you speak to? Are they always at-risk youth or just any kids? What's, tell me about that. Okay, so just yesterday, guys, for an example, I had to report to, to parole here in Las Vegas, Nevada. And as I was entering parole and probation, which is in a dilapidated area to begin with. There was a young individual coming out of there, someone I'm I'm accustomed to seeing just because of where I've spent much of my life. I could tell he was involved with the gangs, et cetera, et cetera. He happened to be of Mexican descent. Um, And I spoke to him as he held the door for me and I grabbed him for a couple of minutes, not physically. And I ended up telling him, Hey, my name is, I just got out after nearly 30 years and he was looking at me deep into my soul when I told him whatever nonsense you're involved with, whatever you're looking to overcome, not to minimize anything, work through it. I'm here to assure you it's not worth it. You're not going to enjoy the journey. Hmm. And you know, guys, he, there was something very deep about this tattooed youngster that me having been doing this a while, I felt that he really received the message on the way out of PMP yesterday, guys. Hmm. But it's basically to, to answer your question more pointedly, one size for me doesn't fit all because we're not all the same. And to me, that has nothing to do with race, eth- ethnicity, or otherwise. It's us as individuals and human beings. We've all gone through different forms of trauma in our lives. How are we coping with it? It's, it's getting past the mask that we each to different degrees wear, perhaps, learning to lower that mask, letting somebody feel comfortable and letting them get, let you get a little peekaboo, if you will, into who they really are, and then you go from there. Let's talk about it. What's going on with you? And I think you're making a really good point that it really is about looking at people as individuals rather than as groups, because you can't help a group, because a group is not a person, and you don't know what a group needs. It's easier probably to talk one-on-one with people. I hope, I mean, it sounds like you got through to this kid and it sounds like the fact that you had this experience and I'm, I'm happy that you're out there. They're talking about this. And, um, did I read that you also have advice for law enforcement that you have ways that they could better handle gangs and, and the way that what they're doing? I had been, there's been a hiatus here the last few months, but I've been speaking to groups of law enforcement officers in training 
through NAMI here in Nevada, which is National Association for Mental Illness. So when I've been asked to speak to these groups of law enforcement officers in training, I share my experience as somebody who ended up out in the street, so to speak, very young on. And I, guys, I kind of put the message out there with these, these young officers that we all have to be very careful. Please don't forget why you signed up to become officers in the first place. Let's not lose ourselves behind the badges and uniforms. And please understand, no matter who it is that you might be approaching, first and foremost, consider whatever decency you may be showing them may be the only decency they've seen all week. Hmm. And that's, I think that's a really important uh, concept for police officers to grasp. And they just sort of, yeah, this guy is a frequent flyer. And they just make it, it's just another guy that they know. And it's, it's all predictable. But what you're saying basically is have compassion and think beyond just what you think you know about this person's life, right? Correct. We all have to be, I feel, extremely careful, guys, not to stereotype. You know, I'm fond of saying there might be truth in every, every stereotype, whether you're Irish, Italian, Black, Jewish, Puerto Rican, whatever you are, there's funny stereotypes there, but we have to be very careful with the labeling process of an entire people, mm. right? Because we are all individuals first. So if not compassion, let's try a little more empathy. Can you mix the races inside? They are not mixed um, unless, however, so everything in prison is predicated upon race, unfortunately, as well as where one comes from. So the neighborhood, uh, the geographic location. So if you've got a predominantly, we'll just go with Italian, you got a prominently Italian, uh, Polish, whatever have you neighborhood, we're going back to some of our eras. Um, you're always going to have different ethnicities mixed in. So whatever that may be, black, blue, green, brown. Okay. We all came from the same geographic location. We all came from the same gang. We're coming from the same location. That is typically guys, the only time that the race mixing really happens inside Mm. is again, by geography. Other than that, it's all by skin color. Very, very sadly and unfortunately. So is that one of your pieces of advice? Maybe mix people sooner, you know, have people have experiences with everybody. Maybe that's, that's a good message for kids to make sure you have friends of different races and, and ethnicities and socioeconomic as well. You know, the more people you know, the more real experiences you have and the, the way it changes the way you view people. Do you think that would help? That's absolutely a very powerful lesson. I feel we all can stand to step up and step out a little more with, you know, you guys, you remember back in the day, the, 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 the aphorism, it takes a village mm-hmm. that's gone to, to, to crap. You know, during the time I was away, I'm out here now and I'm seeing none of that. There is no village anymore. It's us against them, whoever you are, socioeconomic background, skin color, political ideologies, in my opinion and in my experience and in my desire, guys, if I could erase all that, I would erase it all. Right. We're all imperfect. We've all been through different tragedies or, or as I say, uh, 
It's just everybody's been through suffering of some sort. And who is anybody to kick somebody else down into the gutter further based upon any of those those titles we we just spoke of? Who is anybody? Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. people, hopefully, by the end of the day, trying to do the very best that we can. And I love, love, love the adage, we don't change the world by our opinions. We change the world by our examples. Hmm. We all got opinions. You, you want to change the world? You want to change the community or where you're at? Do it by example, everybody. Opinions come easy. And guess what? They're about as, 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 as valuable as a piece of toilet paper that's stained, right? Right. <laughs> True. It's <laughs> a very kind want. way of saying what we're all thinking. We know what you meant. <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad you cried. What made what made you want to write a book? Like, uh, if I spent thirty years in prison, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to be with my family. I'm going to eat candy, and that's mm-hmm. it. I'm not going to. I'm not going to talk to nobody. I'm not going to write nobody. I'm just going to like. That's it. I'm. I'm just going to go back into my little bubble, and everyone leave me alone. You're doing the opposite. You're writing a book. You're a motivational speaker. You're on this stupid show. You went from one reality to a completely different reality that even that most people don't even have on the outside. What made you want to do all this? I got to be honest, guys. I've, I've always kind of swam upstream, if you will, been a bit of an iconoclast um, to some degrees. I certainly was not okay with like where you just said you just want to uh, withdraw in your own cocoon. That's a very dan- dangerous place. Uh, mm. Couldn't tell you the number of suicides that I've seen throughout my years from guys that have just withdrawn so deeply within their own isolation, within isolation, as it were. Right. I haven't thought about that. Right. Oh, very dangerous place. And for me, it was all about making a difference where I was. I was a guy, even in my younger years, as lost as I was, I was the guy that was trying to get other kids out of the street, wanted to save everybody else, if you will, but couldn't save himself. Hmm. But I no longer became that hypocrite once I hit max and I, I, I was sentenced to spend the rest of my natural life in there. I wanted to leave behind a much different legacy. And I wanted to have a bigger impact than the one I had certainly made up until that point. Hmm. And live by example, as you just said. That's absolutely correct. If nothing else, by example. Yes. How do you get that in your head that you're a lifer? You're not getting out. When does that sink in and what is that like? So for me, reflecting back now, if you guys could see me, you'd see my eyes shoot up toward the skies, the heavens. Uh, I think when I was pronounced to spend the rest of my natural life in a prison cell in the courtroom uh, in the early 90s, uh, I was arrested in 1990. At the time, guys, I'm going to jump around for a hot minute with, in response to that. In 1990, I was arrested and charged, and I was sentenced to serve six years at the time in the California prison system. Well, in most prison systems, you could earn what is called good time. Mm-hmm. And that equates to, you know, I'm sure it varies in different systems a little bit, but where you could earn half time by doing what's expected of you, et cetera, et cetera, keep you in compliance. So I had a release date, guys, of 1993, December, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that release date of 1993 got 
parlayed into never again making it out of prison. Um, I was being subpoenaed while I was in prison. Wow. Uh, there was a couple of the Italians, one in particular, who it became, no, I became aware of it while I was in there, guys, and I kept getting these indictments while I was in prison. It was made known to me that one of the Italians who I used to try to protect, I, I used to feel sorry for this particular individual, uh, we'll call Frankie, uh, who was out of Boston. And the whole time I was trying to protect him, he was wearing a wire on me and several <laughs> others. Oh. Oh. And hence the subpoenas guys came a few years later. Right, right. You know? um, so when I was pronounced, so it went from the 1993 release date to never getting out of prison again. It was in that moment to answer your question that, okay, this is what it is, suit up. And and for me, that's how I've been in life. And I think we're all called to be that to some degrees. It's we got to wither the storm, whatever that is, whether it's self-induced or otherwise. And for me, I wanted to, I wanted to wither the storm in the best way possible. And that was not daydreaming about a world that no longer exists for me, which was the outside world. It was now the inside world behind maximum mm. security prison walls. Right. Well, in a way, it's if you want to look at the positive side of, of life, you could you have no other choice but to look at this in a positive way. You met all these people and they told you these wonderful, beautiful, important stories that are going to be life-changing for people that, that read your book. Um, Dear Joey, Letters from Prison, Book One. I think I think this is one of the more important books that's out there right now because it's it's so real and it's so raw and these stories are true stories. It's not fictionalized. It's not the shit you see on TV. It's these are people's lives and you can see. Um, you really talk about empathy. I mean, you have empathy as you're reading the stories. And their and the things that they're saying, and I really hope that this is one of those books that ends up, you know, like in high schools, especially some high schools here in New York. Like I think this is a great book to just make sure they read and then discuss afterwards. I think it could be very life changing for young kids who are very um, inf easily influenced at certain ages. You know, I, I certainly agree with that, and a big, big part of the reason that I first. Well, when I first came up with the concept, guys, for Dear Joey, I was the guy that began mentoring to some of the young gang members of the different races on the inside. And a day came, guys, where for me, and I was trying to keep some of the young gang members that were not yet sentenced to life, keeping them, doing what I could, playing my part to keep them from ending up in my shoes, hence me being able to mentor to and very fortunate for, for that. There was a day, guys, that I was standing in a cell block, and I, I, I'll never forget this, very poignant moment, leaning over the, 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 the tier rail, looking over the cell block, and I was speaking to one of my, who I used to call my youngsters or my many nephews of every race in there. And I was perpetually trying to figure out quietly, how do, how do, how do I catch, how do we catch these young people coming from the inner cities and otherwise before they end up in the prison to school pipeline. And in that moment, guys, 
the concept, mm. Dear Joey, was born. That moment. To get these letters, go around to some of the guys that I used to mentor to or otherwise. And, you know, prison's kind of a, a, a funny place where positivity is really not embraced in there. There are not guys skipping through the cell blocks, et cetera. Mm. Everything is hardcore in there, et cetera. But I've been, I was, I've been really gifted to where I could just, I've been fortunate where I could just help to, to lower the mask, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, um, to help lower the mask and really get inside the heart and soul of the, the various men and young males in there about what's happening with you. And as I said, it, when I started asking the various guys, gang members, former gang members, hey, do you, would you find any desire whatsoever to try and keep a young kid, a younger you, if you will, from ending up in, in the situation you've ended up in your life and down those dark alleyways, would you be willing to give back and pay it forward and try to mm. make a difference? And in so doing, guys, I, you know, I felt a little deceitful in that I couldn't tell them blatantly that I knew it would help them because prison and machismo being what it is, oh, we right. don't need no help. Right. I don't care right. what, what, ethnicity you are. We don't need no help. We're hardcore. We're convicts. We're prisoners. We're prison inmates. We're gang members. But, but I just intuitively knew guys by providing them a voice and, and allowing them to, to feel that they had some value as everybody does to offer that. Wow. What a powerful lesson. And then we get the books ultimately into the school. Sorry, I went on that long rant. No, no, but, I think it's I think it's great. No, it makes perfect sense that not only will the book help the reader, but it'll actually help the men who, who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um, last last quick question for you. Did you have one of those terrible 90s haircuts when you went in? Now, what would you consider terrible? Because I might have <laughs> thought it was really cool. But, uh, <laughs> I actually had hair when I went in, and I no longer have hair when I got out. <laughs> so any hairdo at that point would have been very it cool. It was to better. Me. Yeah, compared to. And, and, and if I could end on this end of it with, please, please, where do, Dear Joey is concerned, the schools, the various school districts, honestly, it has nothing to do with the idea that I that may have been breathed into me to conceive it. Forget about all that. This book changes lives, and it's for young people everywhere. Mike DiVicino, thank you so much for this. Dear Joey, Letters from Prison, book one. We'll, we'll post it on all of our socials. And uh, for all the teachers that are listening, this is definitely a book that you want to buy and talk to your kids, especially the 12, 13, 14-year-olds about. So, Mike, thank you so much for your time, and thank you for being so open and honest about your life and your experience. I I know that you've helped many people just talking to us today. Thank you both for having me, and it's nothing but gratitude. Let's, let's Let's all think about making a difference wherever we are in our lives, every one of us, make a difference. 